Chapter 11 of The Gargoyle by Gurria Lespina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 11. The story so far. Luke Porter, a young painter, and Herbert Benny, alias Cagliostro Moderno, an occultist and pseudo-magician, are held virtual prisoners in Fainwald Castle by Guy Fane the Master, who is a devil worshipper and adept in black magic. In the castle is Sybil, a beautiful girl with Alden, her maid, who is in reality Sybil's mother. Gyvain is a hideous monstrosity whose soul has been dedicated by his mother to Lucifer in revenge for the unfaithfulness of Guy's father. He is prevented from sacrificing Sybil to Lucifer by Cagliostro's interference, but the devil worshipper proceeds with his plan to change bodies with Luke Porter, a plan which seems to Luke preposterous and incredible. Luke has fallen in love with Sybil, and Guy Vane, for his own purposes, promises that Sybil and Luke shall be married that night. The servants are sent away, and Cagliostro shut out of the castle, while the devil worshipper perfects his plans for his great work of black magic. Chapter 11. The Master Prepares Will Mr. Porter be kind enough to step to Mr. Fane's study for a minute? asked the suave voice of Madame Fane as her tall, black-garbed figure appeared in the doorway. Luke and Alden, standing close together, exchanged a look of apprehension. Could Madame Vane have heard their conversation with the occultist outside the castle? Whatever she might have realized, Madame Vane's chalky face was impassive with what must have been a deceptive composure. For her smoldering eyes all at once flamed at Luke's momentary indecision. "'Are you aware, Mr. Porter, that my son is waiting you with considerable eagerness?' she demanded coldly. The failure of the plans he laid so carefully for you has disturbed him immensely, and he wishes to learn your desires in the matter, now that you and my niece cannot be married to-night. You stand in your own light with your despicable suspicions. Luke reached out in the dusk to give Sybil's hand a reassuring pressure. I'm with you, Madame Vane, he said briefly, and followed her down the corridor, pulling every faculty into alertness for the coming ordeal be it what it might. The door of the study was closed, but it opened silently at their approach. The ominous glare of that sickly red light streamed out into the corridor, flickering across Madame Fane's ordinarily pallid face until it appeared transformed, as if writhing with unmentionable emotions. The black-veiled figure of Guy Fane stood before the crystal globe, facing the door. At the entrance of Luke and Madame Fane, he held up both hands to check their further advance. Mr. Porter, I beg of you, no words now on the subject which I know is burning on your tongue. Your marriage must be postponed until tomorrow, and if Sybil then wishes to go on with it, there was a smooth something in Guy Fane's voice that sent Luke's heart to beating irregularly. I shall let you both go, with Alden, early in the morning. Let us go, exclaimed Luke hotly. Poorly chosen words, my dear Mr. Porter. Believe me, just poorly chosen. Forgive me for my maladroitness with language. I am not as stupid and awkward in other ways, I assure you. And as proof of this, and of the harmlessness of my innocent ceremonials, I am asking you to accompany me to the chapel with my mother as well, and observe one from start to finish. It cannot but be instructive to you, who have said that you believe in magic under certain conditions. 
"'Supper is being served to Sybil and Alden in my niece's boudoir,' murmured Madame Fane. "'Do you mind waiting until later for yours, Mr. Porter?' "'Yes, yes, mother, that will be best,' agreed Guy Fane eagerly. First our ceremonial and then the feast to celebrate its success. Ah, Mr. Porter, little do you dream what all this means to me tonight, to have you present, young, handsome, strong, vital. Guy's voice died away as if in an ecstasy of pleasure. It affected Luke unpleasantly. I would like to know, Mr. Fane, why that harmless little Binny has been shut outside the castle by ruse, Luke demanded, his gray eyes darkening. Harmless? Why, my dear Mr. Porter, that charlatan threatened to ruin one of the most astonishing experiments mortal men has yet made along magical lines. When you have witnessed and shared the tremendous thing that is fated to come to pass tonight, you will realize that I could not risk having Herbert Benny, what infinite scorn over the poor little man's name, get excited in his ignorance and ruin everything. Too risky, my dear young man. But come, let us be on our way to the chapel. The squat figure of Guy Fane swept in its rustling black garments ahead of Luke and Madame Fane, who followed in the direction of the chapel. Luke hastened his steps a little and reached the side of the master. I warn you, Mr. Fane, that I have no intention of taking part in any obscene devil worship, he began when Guy interrupted with an involuntary burst of laughter that, to his sensitive ear, sounded almost hysterical. "'Devil worship, sir, what the devil do you mean by that? Do you dare insinuate that I would have used an innocent girl in such vile practices? But you shall see for yourself.' And he laughed again as he moved down the long passages. At last he opened a door, pulled to one side the somber hangings that veiled it from within and entered with a backward gesture of his head for Luke to follow. The artist entered warily to find himself in the body of the chapel upon which he had gazed once before. He looked about him, strange apprehensions creeping into his mind at the sight of the monstrous decorations of the chapel, which made their subtle suggestions to his overstrained nerves now at their highest tension. "'Look about you, Mr. Porter!' cried the high, mellow voice of the master genially. Is it not astonishing that the mind of human beings could have imagined and wrought such bizarre creations as these? Guy, Guy, no more, I beg of you, pleaded Madame Fane, her voice deep with tense emotion. I, I cannot bear it if you say more. My poor mother, you dislike to have it known that yours was the moving mind? Or is it just modesty? Madame Fane's lips emitted a groan, her son laughed heartily. "'Sit you here, my mother, and when the time is ripe, throw on the incense,' he commanded brusquely. "'And no more interruptions, when I start to consecrate the holy blade of sacrifice,' he added sharply. "'I didn't understand before, my son,' the dark woman murmured, as she kneeled with bowed head near the tall censer that swung on its tripod at one side of the altar steps. "'Come up here, Mr. Porter, and see if the mechanism of this globe is not interesting.' invited Guy Fane. See how lightly it hangs on the network of fine platinum chains. Oh, yes, they must be of platinum for occult reasons. And then tell me, if you can, why it should start swinging of itself in response to the fragrance of burning incense and the chanting of strange incantations. 
Tell me, too, why those lapping tongues of flame should shoot from its vibrating surface. Why it should hum and sing its unearthly music. Accepting the master's invitation, Luke advanced up the steps of the altar, conscious all the time of an inward arming against some unexpected wile on the part of Guy Fane, whom the artist could not trust. He looked at the crystal globe gingerly, simple enough in appearance, without observable mechanism to produce the sound, the movement, the lifelike flames. It was an interesting thing in itself. Remain near it if you choose, Mr. Porter, and watch it. See if you can detect chicanery in my simple methods of bringing it into startling life. But I would advise, dear young man, that when you see it spring into glorious ruby life, you step back out of the reach of those tongues of flame. They are very real, I assure you. And I do not care to have you tell me that I did not warn you. Once again... Luke Porter had the experience of watching the master at his incantations. But this time it was close at hand, standing behind the very altar itself, close to the crystal ball, watching it closely. Madame Fane tossed great handfuls of incense upon the smoking tripod censer. Volumes of faintly acrid haze began to rise and float in fitful currents of air through the gloomy chapel. Lucifer! Lucifer! Grant a sign! implored Guy Fane, bending low with imploring arms outstretched before him. The still air began to crowd with murmurings, soft, whining sounds that vibrated through the air. The great globe in the shrine began to move even as Luke watched it, to swing slowly at first, but with increasing rapidity in a circle within the shrine. As it swung, the humming grew louder. Ruby flames leaped from the crystal's heart, seeming every moment to stretch farther until the artist hastily stepped back and down the stairs to be out of their way. From an undertone that merely stirred the atmosphere, vibrations grew in resonance until the entire chapel was vibrating with that rhythmic, sonorous cadence. The sibilant hum beat against the unwilling ears of the artist with an intolerable sweetness, as cloying as the sickening sweet odor of ether to the nostrils. The dim red dusk only half cut the gloom through the clouds and eddies of whirling, vaporous incense. The ruby glow at the heart of the sphere grew and grew until it, too, seemed intolerable, with its strange crimson brilliancy. Luke went down one more step, but his dazzled gray eyes were on that swinging, humming ruby thing which shot out its sweeping octopus-like feelers of living fire that elongated and retracted in every direction. The humming sounded louder again, a dire suggestion of vague and intangible but nonetheless potent evil. The vibrations increased in force and volume. At the foot of the altar lay the master, prostrate, only muttering exorcisms reached Luke's straining ears. The tongues of flame now shot forth fiercely, and the artist, with a muttered exclamation of alarm, went backward another step, came in contact with the great marble top of the altar, reeled slightly and crumpled back upon it weakly, horror on his agonized face. Guy Fane sprang up the altar stairs with a cry of triumph and leaned over the recumbent young man. "'You are mine now!' he cried wildly. "'Your youth shall fill my veins anew with vitality. Your handsome features shall bring me pleasure where my gruesome mask of horror has brought me only loathing. Your fine limbs 
Ah, Lucifer, Lucifer, here lies the youth from whom I am tonight to recruit that for which I have so long yearned. Struggling with the despair into which his impotent and unconquerable weakness has plunged him, Luke stirred ever so little. The flashing eyes of the master were upon him through the folds of chiffon veil. They threatened. Lie still, fool, else I lift my veil. He who looks upon my face can never be the same again, cried the master terribly. Ah, that is better. The unhappy artist felt weakness creeping inexorably through his limbs, through his very veins, until it seemed that the beating of his heart was stilled. He could hear, see all about him, but move he could not. It was as if he were chained to that cold marble slab. He strove to keep his senses, but was sick as he realized that he could not now spring to Sybil's aid, should the girl again fall into the hands of the evil mage. The master turned to his mother. Woman, the hour is close at hand. Fetch the maiden. Her presence is necessary for this last rite. There was the sound of rustling garments. Luke realized that he and the master were alone. The swinging and humming of the ruby sphere had somewhat lessened, but there was a compelling sound to it now that sent a languid feeling of sensuous and delicious emotion through Luke's body. He could not fight this as he might have done a little since. Perforce yielding to it, he felt no repugnance when the ungainly hand of the master began to pass gloatingly up and down his arms, his legs, over his firm young chest, his youthful face. A glow of thrilling eagerness began to rise hotly through his being, eagerness for he knew not what. The master leaned closer. Through the veiling chiffon he kissed the smooth cheeks of the helpless man, kissed them in a sheer voluptuous passion of delight. Luke's body trembled sickly. Ah, how can I wait, even minutes, to possess these fine limbs? Lucifer, mighty art thou above all other angels. How can I thank thee enough for this most splendid gift? I tingle with mad expectations. Already I feel the racing of his youthful blood through my veins. The black velvet curtain parted again, interrupting the master's rhapsodies. Luke's straining eyes and his motionless head soon saw the source of the interruption. Advancing before Madame Fane like a lamb before the slaughterer, came the trembling Sybil, widely awake at last to the horror of her situation. End of chapter 11